Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Some things that I want to talk about today, I'm going to be previewing the weekend ahead, some really cool films that'll be fun to catch up on. I'm also going to be talking about Lee Wenell's return to the Monster Universe and more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is news coming out of the Fall Festival circuit, which is in a lot of pretty much in the air with the Toronto Film Festival, Telluride, Venice, and New York. And people have been wondering, well, what is going to happen with everything going on with the coronavirus? And in a bit of really kind of inspiring light news with everything going on in the world, really, all four festivals came out with a statement yesterday saying that they will be uniting for this year's festival. Really what that means is they're not going to be coming together to create one big festival, but in in years past, the festivals really kind of compete against one another. They try to compete with premieres, trying to get bigger films to come for their festival to attract more stars, to attract more journalists, basically to attract more eyes and ears to their specific festivals. But with everything happening this year, a lot of those festivals are going to be stripped down to just maybe 50 or so screenings, whether they be physical screenings actually happening in theaters at the festival or whether they're online for people to see whoever gets invited to the festivals. And it sounds like instead of really kind of vying for one of those films or vying for multiple films, they're going to come in some kind of unison saying that all the films that maybe are selected, they are going to show together in some kind of a way. And this is the statement <clears throat> That came out from all four festivals together saying, This year, we've moved away from the competing with our colleagues at Autumn Festivals and commit instead to collaboration. We are sharing ideas and information. We are offering our festivals as a united platform for the best cinema we can find. We're here to serve the filmmakers, audiences, journalists, and industry members who can help the film ecosystem thriving. We need to do that together. And there are no additional details regarding the actual details of the festival or the specifics of what films are going to be there or what exactly this unifying of uh, festivals really means but I think with everything really again going on I think it, it's just a, a lot of a little bit of light news and, and I think some kind of positive news and everything going on in which these really four major festivals that are spring off points for award campaigns that happen for the Oscars are going to unite in some kind of way. Again, it's not going to mean a big festival that they're all going to participate in. It means if one film shows a major premiere, then another festival gets that same treatment or gets that same film as well. So I, I think it's something that is is just nice to, to hear. And again, in, in this industry, it's really a dog-eat-dog world, really, per se, where a lot of people are competing against one another. They're vying for, again, people's eyes and ears for their specific festivals, but to hear that these four major ones are deciding to come together, put those differences aside, and say we're going to reunite or unite for the greater good of film and for the industry that we know is kind of taking a big hit from what's going on with the pandemic, then that's what we'll do. So it's really nice to see that and to hear that. And according to The Hollywood Reporter as well, a little excerpt from their article, they say, the result has been the four rival festivals 
plan slimmed down 2020 editions with first-time digital platforms and fewer film titles to screen, and planned physical screenings and events in Toronto, Venice, and New York and Telluride will depend on green lights from local public health authorities. And so you've heard that Toronto is going to have a festival that's going to be a mix between virtual and physical, and Venice seems like they're going to be going in some kind of physical route as well, not in the same aspect that they've had in years past, but to maybe have more socially distant premieres for their festival as well. So I'm sure it'll be really kind of more outlying unification that's going to happen between the festivals. But regardless, I think it's just a little bit of good news in times that are are really kind of gray right now. So definitely a feel-good story that I wanted to start out the podcast with today. And another feel-good story to continue this little trend that we're going on right now is that the CW announced last night that they have found their brand new Batwoman. And now I'm somebody who follows the the CW Arrowverse a little bit. I don't usually talk about it on the the Samusop podcast just because I don't really watch it in depth as some of the other really great great fans of those shows really kind of go in depth about and talk about it whenever they watch it. I'm just not one of those people. But when I see a story like this, I do want to talk about it. And I do know the show of Batwoman, which was previously played by Ruby Rose, who in a surprising fashion at the season finale in May decided to exit the, the the show, whether there's no specific designated point for why she decided to, to leave the, the, the show, but there are some rumors and speculation of what could have happened, but I'm not going to get into that. She left, it was on her own terms, and then the studio and her, or it seemed like it was amicable, and that's where I'm going to leave it, but the good news coming out of this, it seems like CW surprise a lot of people in who they decided to cast, and that is the first LGB African-American woman to be appearing in a major lead superhero show, and that will be going to Javika Leslie, who was on the show God Friended Me, which was canceled, I think, this year. It was only on for two seasons. And this was a, a, a very, very good, surprising move to hear about from the CW, especially a lot of the stuff that we're going on with Black Lives Matter and social injustice that is happening. CW seems like really t- kind of took a page out of that and said, you know what? We're going to really kind of uh, go along with that and, and showcase a brand new voice within a community that hasn't been heard yet. And to have this happen with Batwoman, it continues that trend that started with Ruby Rose and, and having her be a lesbian character and somebody who is a strong female character as well, continue with that trend as well. So I really do enjoy that, and, and I'm very surprised by it and in a, in a great way that nobody was really reporting on this. I don't think anybody really had Javika Leslie on as the, one of their candidates to take over the mantle. So it, it's, a, it's a, I think, a very good surprising twist that hopefully people, I think, will, will go with and, and enjoy and hope for the best with her and not really try to tear her down and, and poke holes and say, well, this isn't the Batwoman that I envisioned. I think— at this stage and point in time when it comes to casting, it's just really going about it and seeing what that character is going to do and and how they portray that character. The showrunners know what they're doing. You some you can question sometimes when the showrunner does some things, but I think when it comes to casting, somebody that maybe isn't the exact portrayal of that of what you would expect it to be, I think you have to look at it on the other side of the mirror and say, well, somebody else is going to appreciate this. And maybe once they actually put on the cape and cowl, and once they start telling the story, I will get on board with it as well. I think that's the approach that a lot of fans of these shows, of of superhero shows and of comic book shows and movies, I think really have to take forth going into the future. And this is a statement from from Leslie who said, 
on Instagram, I am extremely proud to be the first black actress to play the iconic role of Batwoman on television, and as a bisexual woman, I am honored to join this groundbreaking show, which has been a, such a trailblazer for the LGBTQ plus community. And she will be playing the character of Ryan Wilder, who that was the reported character that will be taking place of Kate Kane from the first season of Batwoman. And the description for Ryan Wilder is that she is a likable, messy, and a little goofy and untamed. She's also nothing like Kate Kane, the woman who wore the bad suit before her. With no one in her life to keep her on track, Ryan spent years as a drug runner dodging the GCPD and masking her pain with bad habits. Today, Ryan lives in her van with her plant, a girl who would steal milk for an alley cat and could also kill you with her bare hands. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter, highly skilled and wildly undisciplined. An out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, flailable, and very much not your stereotypical all-American hero, which is, I think, exactly what Batwoman always wanted to be and what the showrunners wanted Batwoman to be. So to just kind of go extremely out of left field again, I think, is exactly what they want to do. And what better way to do it than, I think, to really surprise people. And again, in times like this that we're living in where people want more more inclusiveness and more opportunities for people of of african-american descent and of asian-american descent or latino descent or really kind of give voices to people that haven't been heard yet and this is the another great example of seeing the compass be put towards the right direction and pointed in the right direction that we want to see going forward and it in response to the casting ruby rose who played kate kane last season in batwoman put out on instagram OMG, this is amazing. I am so glad Batwoman will be played by an amazing black woman. I want to congratulate Javanka Leslie on taking over the Batcape. You are walking into an amazing cast and crew. I can't wait to watch season two. You are going to be amazing. So again, it, it seems like even though Ruby Rose didn't leave, there's not a lot of animosity between her and what and the, the crew and the cast of the show. It just seemed like she, it just really wasn't for her. She tried it out, and she just really wanted to leave, and she just physically, mentally... It just really wasn't her rodeo, so she left it, and now a new opportunity has opened up for Javanga Leslie to take it over and run with it, and I'm excited to see what she does, and I'll definitely be tuning in to see some of the episodes. Again, I'm not somebody who follows the Arrowverse, Arrowverse as in-depth as a lot of other fans do, but I want to check out and see what this new path of Batwoman takes and how it hopefully potentially inspires other CW shows to do that, other shows in general and other movies and other entertainment projects going forward that they can take risks like this and, and that it doesn't need to become a risk anymore. It can just become a natural addition, decision that you can say, yeah, we can do this and, and this works. Nobody's against it. We can do this. So this is a step in the right direction of making sure that it becomes normal, that it doesn't become a shocking, exciting twist, that it's just because this makes sense, this is perfect for it. And so I'm excited to see what she does with the Batwoman role. What do you guys think about this new casting for Batwoman? Let me know down below what you think about it. Or do you think it's a great choice? Do you think you're going to wait and see how Devonka Leslie does in this role? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Moving on now to some other announcements for new projects down the pipeline. And this one has to do with the directing announcement. And it's a one that I'm really excited about. And that is the Wolfman movie that is going to be one of the next 
supernatural monster films to come out from Universal, seems like they're reuniting the team of The Invisible Man together. Specifically, Lee Iwanell will be returning to pen the treatment and direct the Wolfman film along with Blumhouse coming in to produce alongside Universal. So basically, you're getting the team of Invisible Man back together for The Wolfman, which will star Ryan Gosling in a film that is said to, like The Invisible Man, take place in modern day and basically be a mixture of the film Network and Nightcrawler, which I think is very interesting that it's going to take place in the news cycle space and it's going to involve some supernatural twist to it. And I'm really excited to see what Leo Winnell does with this because, again, with Invisible Man, I think after The Mummy, a lot of people were skeptical of what could happen in the MonsterVerse that's no longer the Dark Universe, that it's its own, it's more creatively driven and something that doesn't encase an entire universe. Maybe The Wolfman might prove that wrong, but Leo Winnell is somebody who is always about the film. He's not about the future. He's not about looking to what could be ahead. He's all about what he can do artistically with the project that he's working on at that particular moment in time. That's what he did with The Invisible Man, which was a a modern-day take on the Me Too movement, on, on physical and mental abuse towards women, and the way that he was able to portray the Invisible Man as more of a technological movement than something that is supernatural was an interesting twist I really did enjoy. And it, it was it's so far one of my favorite films of 2020. It was a box office smash, even though it was still having its theatrical run when the theater shut down due to COVID-19. It still made a profitable amount of money grossing over $124 million worldwide at the box office, had a phenomenal turn from Elizabeth Moss in the lead role. And I'm expecting the same thing for Ryan Gosling, who pitched the original idea for this. And according to the Deadline article, which broke this story, have said that Ryan Gosling and Lee Iwanell have wanted to work together for a while now. So I think this is a good starting off point for the both of them. And I'm really interested to see how... Lee Iwanell combines the this kind of supernatural element with the Wolfman, which is different from the Invisible Man, and incorporates it into the modern day as well. So, and I think that you have Blumhouse working with Universal again. It's been an up and down roller coaster, but I think there are a lot more hits than misses when it comes to that partnership than with others with Blumhouse. Blumhouse overall, their production company, has been a roller coaster of up and downs, up and downs, up and downs critically, but even the downs have had positive gains in terms of their financial box office so i think this is again a really good match once again for universal and blumhouse and i think now that this is kind of coming together i'm excited to see who rounds out the cast and hopefully soon get some more details on what this wolfman film is going to be about and i'm more excited now that lee iwanell is directing the film and back at it once again with the Universal team of monster films. What do you guys think about Lee Iwanell coming back to the monster universe or the Universal's new monster verse and directing The Wolfman? Let me know in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now I want to talk about some surprising news that also came out yesterday that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. And it's not a, a casting announcement. It's not a directing announcement. It's not even a, a new project announcement of some kind of grand picture that was detailed but in the day and age of the COVID-19 pandemic the big question surrounding Hollywood really is and really entertainment is when are productions especially here in the United States going to start ramping back up again 
And we started to see it around the world. New Zealand, the UK is starting to slowly get back into things, such as Republic. Slowly but surely, international productions, that include some United States films as well, are starting to ramp up back into production again. Same thing with Jurassic World Dominion, which is starting back up in the UK, is one of the first major big-budgeted productions to get back up and running. But the U.S. is slowly but surely starting to get to that level, but nothing major has really happened yet. But it appears like it, it has already happened, and it happened during the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic when it was in its really in its beginning form in, in the first few months of the lockdown. And it seems like Zendaya and John David Washington, along with the Euphoria showrunner who directed this film, Sam Levinson, all got together and filmed in secret for a few weeks a small if indie film that will be touted and is seems like is being touted as the first Hollywood production to happen during the COVID-19 pandemic that instituted the regulations of social distancing and and making sure that people are six feet apart and, and how you 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 clean the cameras, the equipment and and implementing these new provisions for studios and for productions when they go back to work and it's going to be the first film coming out of COVID-19 when all is said and done to be released in theaters probably if this does come out in theaters or in some other format and so it, this is really really surprising and the details coming out of it are it's titled Malcolm and Marie and again Zendaya was the one that actually came up with this idea for filming she was in lockdown according to this deadline article and because Euphoria Season 2 was one of the projects that was affected by the COVID-19 pandemic for not going into production, she wanted to do something else. So she decided to call up the showrunner for it, Sam Levinson, and they decided to create a project which brought on the talent of John David Washington, who is doing Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet, which is as of right now slated to come out on August 12th. And it seems like the film from the logline, which is being kept under wraps right now, but according to the deadline article, it apparently has echoes of Netflix's Marriage Story, which was an Academy Award-nominated film and winner last year for Laura Dern for Marriage Story. It says it'll also resonate with a number of social themes and the world that is it is experiencing right now. And also to the Deadline article, they say that filming took place between June 17th and July 2nd at the Caterpillar House, an environmentally conscious glass architectural marvel in Carmel, California, all compliant with WGA, DGA, and SAG-AFTRA approvals and COVID-19 safety protocols. And a few other provisions that I want to talk about from the deadline article in which they go into detail for what they exactly did to accommodate the actors, the, the crew, and, and how they were able to get the set, how they interacted, and, and what the set was like in terms of the, again, the regulations and provisions that are being applied with COVID-19 still in, in the wind. And this is from the Deadline article. The production employed a lean crew who wore multiple hats with everyone looking out for each other. Co-EP Chris became the delightful, the, excuse me, not the delightful, the default for everything from tracking scripts, stocking craft services, and standing in for lighting. After consulting with the unions and with the oversight of their doctor, a plan was hammered out. The entire team would take multiple COVID tests and head up to Monterey for a two-week quarantine before filming began. For two weeks, cast and crew wore masks, social distance, had their own separate dwellings with individual HVAC units, took hikes, rehearsed in the parking lot, and ate in designated spots food prepared by a chef who had been quarantined with the group. No one was allowed to leave the property. 
While the set crew and actors were quarantined, there was a separate pod that included the production designer, set dresser, and grips who worked together to prep the house for production. They were tested for COVID before working, wore protective gear, and stayed on a separate property to maintain the healthiest working environment possible. Once cleared, production began with no more than 12 people on set at any given moment. Some of the precautions taken included temperature checks at the beginning and end of every day. Extra time was always allowed for the crew to be sanitized, the set, and gear. No crew member could be in close contact with the actors without proper personal protective equipment. Sets were pre-dressed well in advance to limit crews, and the director would check in on a video call in advance. And these are just some of the details and regarding what the 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 set and the crew and the cast took to amount to the COVID-19 measures and if you want to check out more of this definitely go on the deadline article and and they had and see what other details that are on there I could have gone on and on and on but I, I don't want to to read the entire article from head to toe I want to really talk about what this means and I think when we talk about indie films and we talk about smaller productions this is the kind of thing you're going to witness and the kind of things that are going to happen on smaller production sets for bigger sets i think it's going to be a lot more complicated basically everything you listen to here and everything you read in that article is going to be amplified 10 times because it's just a larger production there's more hands on deck for those films whereas this is more of an intimate personal human story that is happening there's not big visual effects going on green screen they filmed this in one location and they made sure that they didn't go anywhere else just in that location itself and that if you didn't need to be near the actors then you weren't allowed to be near the actors and vice versa and the same thing with the 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 culinary with the catering in which making sure that all food was packaged together and that the, the the actors from their trailers, wherever they were living, were driven up personally from their other areas. And so to me, this sounds like something where if you're shooting an indie film, these are the kinds of steps and the kind of details that you can take into account for yourself when creating your own productions. Because with even if, if this costs a few million dollars, it's still not a $100 million budget that you're taking into account with this movie, with the film anywhere, really. And so I think with this guideline coming out with this with the details for this production i think it can be a template for what other indie films can do in which a lot of insiders have said that the ones that really can come back in the beginning in terms of production are the smaller indie film crews because there's not a lot of people on those sets it's it's a lot smaller it's more confined whereas with again when you're working in a big studio when you're working with a big production you got to worry about a lot more people on set than you would in something that's more confined and a lot tighter where in an indie film you can't pay all these people to do a lot of stuff and so you can basically like they had here a lot of people wearing different hats on all on one person which is a good thing and a bad thing it's a good thing because you have people that can be multi, can do multitask like that and, and are multifaceted in their skills. But at the same time, for somebody who does want to work in the industry and somebody who might want to get a job, it might take away a job that somebody else could have. But again, in these times that we're in right now, you got to make the health is above everything else. So if you, if you can make it work while making sure that people can do their jobs while being safe and their health is taken into account, that's what the main priorities are going to be going forward, not just for entertainment, but for sports, for any other businesses that are looking to open back up again and making sure that they follow the guidelines the best way they possibly can. 
So I think this is, again, going to be a template that people follow. Reading it, I was really kind of mesmerized that nobody really heard about this, especially because it has two major stars that could really break out into superstars, Zendaya and John David Washington. So with two major names like that not being heard about doing this production, I give major kudos and props to whoever produced this movie who and that was able to keep it all under wraps and the fact that Deadline came out with this whole big reopening of Hollywood, which they've had segments and different features throughout the weeks in which how different areas of the business and the industry are going to open it back up again. And it was just, this was the latest segment of just kind of listing down. This is going to be officially the first major production that started and finished during the COVID-19 pandemic and nobody really found out about it. So they were able to kind of do this with these big names, both behind and in front of the camera without any kind of pressure whatsoever. They didn't have to worry about people saying, well, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Nobody even checked in with the DGA, the SGA, or the, the, the yeah, the, the SAG and the WGA. They didn't have to check in with any of these places, and nobody said anything about it. So I think the fact that they were able to do it, they know that it works and that they didn't have any pressure. Now that they can come out and say, this is what we did, nobody has gotten sick, nobody has tested positive, and, if, and we follow these guidelines, and, and it worked. So I think, again, this is going to be a template that productions, a lot, I think smaller productions, can really follow and bigger productions can take some of these inferences and these little tidbits that they take from this and apply it to their productions as well. So I think that this is really surprising to hear and I think this is going to be an article and a situation that people are going to dissect for uh, the next few months to come when reopening back up into productions for their projects, whether that be for television or film. I think it's going to be something that people are going to look at for the foreseeable future. And one of the last things that I want to talk about, or really the last thing I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is the weekend preview. Now, again, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I haven't really done a lot of these because there haven't been any major, major releases that have come out because theaters are shut down or there hasn't been anything big coming out on VOD. And just like last month with that weekend of June 12th with The Five Bloods, The King of Staten Island, there's a, this is another big weekend where there are some interesting films to check out over this weekend, if you have nothing else to do during the the summer season, and uh, there's different genres for people to check out. There's a, a comic book film that people can check out. There's a, a war film with Tom Hanks, and there is a comedy, uh, a, a, a dramatity with Andy Samberg that you can check out from SNL alum. So definitely a lot, really some really cool movies to check out, and I'm going to go in, into depth on each one for why you should go check them out. And the first one I'm going to talk about is the new Netflix film, The Old Guard. It's based off of a graphic novel, and it's directed by Gianna Prince-Bightwood, who directed Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights. And it stars a really good cast of Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk, and the wonderful Chiwetel Ejiofor. It has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the critic consensus on RT is... The Old Guard is occasionally restricted by genre conventions, but director Gina Prince Bythewood brings a sophisticated vision to the superhero genre and some knockout action sequences led by Charlize Theron. And so I, I remember hearing about this exclusively on Vanity Fair when they came out with the first look of the film, and it sounded really interesting. And watching the trailers, it, it looked really cool and something that was a fun summer blockbuster to, to see, but... The reviews have really come out and saying that it's more than just a, a fun action comic book film. It's got some heart. It's got some 
character development, some story to it. So I'm really excited to see this film. If you're somebody that is looking for that next action fix, and if you got that with, with Extraction in April, and, and it's and it hasn't been like that for a few months, it sounds like this is the film to check out. With what Chris Hemsworth did in Extraction, it seems like what Charlize has been doing for so many years and what it seems like she does in this movie just elevates her status as a tremendous action star in which from the reports I've been reading she injured herself she broke her thumb and ligaments in her thumb and doing all these stunts by herself and, and she really really went above and beyond to do the amazing work that she did and I'm also a big fan of Kiki Lane in which I think she's another rising star to watch out for i thought she was tremendous and if beale street could talk and i had a chance to interview her a, a few years ago when the the press junket for beale street was doing its rounds and just talking to her for a little bit when i was with wrhu and the screening room she was just absolutely incredible she's such a nice woman and i think she is bound to have an incredible career and this is just another again stepping stone baby step for her and taking on uh, in in being an, another voice in a comic book film and an action film and in a starring role alongside an incredible star in Charlize and learning from her, she said that it was like coming in and learning from both the character and the actress uh, of Charlize. So um, I think this is again another stepping stone for her and to see her action career kind of blossom with this. I'm really excited and I'm rooting for her in 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 her future endeavors. And again with Chuitzel. He's amazing. Again, in everything he does, he's an Oscar-nominated actor. So to see what he does is incredible. And and I think, again, for me, I'm going to be watching this this weekend. I'll have a review out for it. And it definitely sounds like this is one that I would definitely recommend to check out if you're a fan of Charlize. And if you have Netflix, again, nothing else you could be doing. You're already paying for the subscription service. You can just go on and watch it, and you can just see what it's all about and if you enjoy it, which it sounds like a lot of people did, judging by the reviews that I'm seeing for the old guard and then moving on to the world war ii film that is coming out with another big star who wrote it and is starring in it along with producing that is the tom hanks starring world war ii film greyhound it is directed by aaron schneider and it's based off of a true story of the battle of the atlantic that happened during world war ii and it stars Tom Hanks, Stephen Graham, Rob Morgan, and Elizabeth Shue. And it's another film that has a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is the critic consensus for this movie. It says, Greyhound's characters aren't as robust as its action sequences, but this fast-paced World War II thriller benefits from its effectively economical approach. And basically, to me, when I've seen these reviews, it's if you've liked Tom Hanks in and anything, but especially in World War II films like Saving Private Ryan or what he was able to do as a producer with Band of Brothers in the Pacific, the the, the Pacific, excuse me, then I think that sounds like you're going to enjoy this because he wrote this movie and he has an idea of how to make World War II films for a specific group of people that love these films. And I think if you have Apple TV+, Plus, it sounds like something to definitely check out, have fun with and enjoy. Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, being a captain, being a leader and kicking some Nazi Germany butt while he's being a captain. And so I def definitely sounds like something interesting to watch. Again, it is on Apple TV+. Plus, so if you have Apple TV+, Plus, it sounds like something that, again, you're already paying for the subscription. Definitely seems like something if you're looking for something new to check out. And I think if you're looking to try Apple TV+, Plus, this might be one of the things that can gravitate you towards potentially checking it out for a day or so. I, I think... Because Hamilton really kind of took over the conversation for July 4th weekend, I think this would have kind of been under the dirt a little bit just because of how popular Hamilton is. But 
it, let's say if Hamilton didn't come out, I think this would have been a great July 4th film to have alongside The Outpost, The Outpost, which came out on VOD for the American Holiday Weekend as well. So I think this could have fallen tremendously in line for the July 4th weekend, but coming out after it, I think could still get some heads to turn and check this one out, especially because it's got the the, the grandfather of them all, the, the one that has done it all, that is Mr. Tom Hanks. So definitely check out Greyhound if you have a chance. I'll be doing a review on it this weekend as well. And the final one that I've heard really good things about that I think is one to check out is the Dramatity Palm Springs, which is directed by Max Barcaco, and it stars Andy Samberg, Kristen Maloudi, Peter Gallinger, and J.K. Simmons. And this is a movie that I heard about at Sundance, and it is the highest acquisition in Sundance history in terms of getting deals done and paying for films and the rights for these films. It it came in at around $22 million, and it was acquired by Neon and Hulu to premiere on the streaming service. And from what I've heard about this, this is one of the best films of the year. It has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it says, in terms of its critic consensus, strong performances, assured direction, and refreshingly original concept make Palm Springs a rom-com that's easy to fall in love with. And when you watch the trailer for this, you can easily say, oh, this is another Groundhog film. Why would I want to involve myself in watching this again? But it seems like that the the director, Max Barbaco, does a great job in in implementing some fresh ideas. Again, I'm going to be trying to check this one out too. And it, it seems like there's a lot of refreshing ideas. And it seems like the, the chemistry between Andy Samberg and, and Kristen Maloudi are are really, really good. I'm sorry, that's not that. It's Kristen Maloudi. I'm sorry about that. Between Kristen Maloudi and Andy Samberg, are, I hear is tremendous and really one of the reasons why you gravitate towards these two and the adventures they go on and repeating the same day over and over and over again. So I'll have a review for this film as well. And again, if you have Hulu, it's always about the streaming services. It's about if you have these streaming services, if you're paying for them and you're looking for something new, then why not check it out and see how you enjoy it? And I don't think that Palm Springs will gravitate people to check out Hulu, but I think if you do have Hulu and you're looking for something to enjoy, this sounds like something that you can go out and, and have fun with. And if you're by in a drive-in, th- if you're by a drive-in theater or a theater, you can check this one out as well. This is going to be playing in select theaters as well. So it's one to I think definitely check out if you're by drive-in theater or if you have Hulu at home that you can check out. But those are the three recommendations that I'm having for this weekend preview. Again, you have Palm Springs, you have Greyhound, and the old the old guard all on different streaming services. Netflix for the old guard, Greyhound for Apple TV Plus, and Palm Springs with Hulu and select specific drive-in theaters. So that's the Twitter poll that I'm also going to have on my Twitter feed today. Which one are you most looking forward to? The old guard, Greyhound, or Palm Springs. That's going to be the Twitter poll that I'm going to have on there. Let me know what you think about each one and which one you're excited to see, and I'll put on the results tomorrow when I come on the Sam Bissell podcast. But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. 
Also check out Goal Driven Professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can also check out the other amazing shows that have joined the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions in the last few months, including Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can find all of them on the website and more on the ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you're all done following the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions on their social media accounts, make sure to head on over to my accounts and give me a quick follow if you can. You can find me on Twitter at Basel Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.